The Spirit and the Bride say, Come. And let him who hears say, Come. And whoever is thirsty, let him come. Let him take the free gift of the water of life. I use that opening from the end of Revelation on uh, Pentecost, a rare mention of the Spirit in the book of Revelation, and on Special Saints Days, and this is one you know that this intentional interim pastor has uh, kept his, his personal practices of observing these days when they fall on a Sunday. As a pastor also, I, I think it's useful to use our church calendar um, to uh, draw lessons from these special days. And today, again, I think it's, it's most relevant. We adjusted our schedule. Many churches are celebrating today the Sanctity of Human Life Sunday that we, we marked the previous week along with some other churches because we saw coming this, this Sunday St. Timothy, pastor and confessor. And in the name of Christ, I will tell you, we specifically realized that, that today would be a day to talk about the pastoral office because even a month ago, we figured that our pastor-elect, uh, Kurt Klaus at the time, would have shared with us his decision. Indeed, he did uh, last Saturday, if you weren't here on Sunday or in some way have not heard. Um, we, we do thank God for an answer to prayer, not the one we wanted, but he declined our call. And our call committee has already met this week and is working towards uh, expeditiously, as, as fast as the Spirit guides, uh, present an, another call list and, and extend another call. Keep praying, praying, praying as we, we do today. But we knew that if uh, Kurt Klaus had accepted our call, that it would be a day to you know, remember what scripture says about the pastoral office with a new pastor coming, or as it is indeed, reflect maybe through some small tears on what the pastoral office is as we now again extend another call. And so even almost a month ago, I had planned the first part of this sermon. <laughs> Because I was going to springboard from whatever readings we had, I glanced at them, but I thought this is the time to look at the pastoral office. What it is and what it should do. So the first part of this sermon, in good Lutheran fashion, has three parts. The origins of the pastoral office. Then we'll talk about the functions of the pastoral office. And then a little bit about the qualifications for the pastoral office. And that's the three-part outline. Number one, the origin of the pastoral office. From where does it come? It's not a where, it's a, a who. <laughs> 
We talk about a divine call, a call from God to be a pastor. And that comes from verses like Ephesians chapter 4. That's that section where Paul uh, recounts the saving work of Christ. He descended and then ascended. He came to our level as a true human being to take our sin upon himself, conquer it and the devil and death and damnation. And he ascended into the heavens to give gifts to men, humans. And immediately Paul lists those gifts. And he gave apostles prophets, evangelists, and then the fourth category is really two words, but it's one category in Greek, pastors, teachers. The word pastor means shepherd. Christ gave pastors to the church. We, we just sang that on the basis of Ephesians chapter 4. This office comes from God, and God fills the office. Indeed, we have a specific example in the book of Acts. In Acts chapter 20, Paul meets with some pastors from Ephesus. They're called, as they often are in the Bible, elders, whether they were always old in age. Timothy wasn't. They were mature in the faith, an Old Testament title for spiritual leaders. And he tells these elders, the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. That's another word in the New Testament for the office overseer. We get the word bishop from it, someone who sees the big picture of the church. The Holy Spirit has made you pastors, elders, <laughs> overseers. That's the origin of this office and we can trust it's not our procedures or voting. It's, it's God at work amongst us to give the pastor Trinity Lutheran Church needs. He is faithful. To provide a pastor to do what Scripture says, I, I always cite one word I actually want on my tombstone if I'm buried or even die before Jesus appears again. He preached the word. Second Timothy, the second letter to this pastor. Paul, as he formally does in our text, charges Timothy. I mean, it's very, very official sounding from the apostle to a pastor that was ordained. I charge you, preach the word. That summarizes it all. He goes on, you may know the section, to say, reprove, rebuke, exhort with great patience and instruction, teaching. He also goes on to say, do the work of an evangelist to spread the gospel outside the church. But the summary statement is preach the word. And that needs to be a function the function of a pastor. Indeed, over and maybe we could even say covering his human qualities, we do want to match pastors with whatever earthly situations the, the ministry develops. 
But the, the human aspect of the pastor always takes second place. Another thing this interim pastor has done that I think has been different from immediate past pastors is, and I did it with thought, uh, I have worn, especially in this worship service, what I call a clerical, this shirt. My dad called it that and he was a pastor. It's a clergy shirt. Uh, if it's got the full white around, often it's called a Roman collar. The origins of it, as best I can research, are not in any great symbolism. Um, previous century, century before, pastors simply did not stay in style. <laughs> they weren't fashion horses, you know, with the latest shirts, so they wore old-fashioned collars, and pretty soon that designated them as not worldly members of the clergy. But it's taken on some symbolism, right? I think a lot of Lutherans know this. They see the little white tab on the style I wear or the full white around the neck and, and they reflect 2 Timothy chapter 4 that this is the voice of God that should come through this man. We don't see the man. That's also why we wear vestments to cover up the human. Yes, through human words and preparations we want to hear the word. Nothing more, nothing less. But there's a purpose for this that's also in Ephesians 4. After Paul says that Christ gave some to be pastors, teachers, he shows the reason to equip the saints for their work of ministry. A pastor's job is not to do all the work of the kingdom, it's to equip you to do all the work of the kingdom. In the Old Testament, it wasn't just Aaron and his family that were ordained as priests. You know, a couple of times it mentions that all of Israel was to be a nation of priests. We Lutherans, since Luther, talk about the universal priesthood of all believers. There's a distinction between that and the public office of, of, of pastoral ministry, but they're complementary. They work together, and a pastor's job is to equip the saints to serve. That's what ministry means. And there are qualifications for this office. I won't detail. You can read the long sections in 1 Timothy chapter 3, also of deacons. And Titus chapter 2, that's another pastor to whom Paul wrote a letter. They're called the pastoral epistles, 1 and 2 Timothy and Titus. But in there is one verse I think sometimes gets missed by, by even us Lutherans who have emphasized. Paul tells Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 2 that he should rightly handle the word of truth above any other qualifications. The pastor, again, has to know the scriptures. I, I have been involved with numerous congregations now, a circuit visitor, an interim pastor in the call process, and I wish I heard more questions about the Bible from call committees. What does the Bible teach about this? Teach us about that from the Bible. And that's the pastoral office. 
origins, function, qualifications, a great day to remember these things. A lot of you know from the Bible. But there's one other thing maybe new or renewed to you here in 1 Timothy chapter 6. I, I describe it today as the guts <laughs> of the calling to minister, to serve as we proclaim God's word, not only for pastors, but also for all people who follow Jesus. I'll get to it in a minute. You've heard it in the intro it today and in the children's message today. But look again at, at 2 Timothy or 1 Timothy chapter 6. Again, the apostle Paul exhorts Timothy to flee from bad things. If you look up earlier, it's the love of money and worldly things. But then to pursue, and here's one of those lists in the Bible you can use to check not only pastors, but you yourself, righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, gentleness. Those are the qualities, not only of a pastor, I pray also of you. We, we fail. According to God's law, we always fail. But sins covered by the blood of Christ, pastors and people are to pursue. What God accounts to us, he sees us as perfect in all these ways. Indeed, righteousness is the first. The rightness we have, not, not by ourselves, not because I've tried to do my best or even accomplished any of the commandments, you or I, but because of Jesus Christ, his righteousness accounted in your place. You are perfect, covered by the waters of baptism, sins washed away. Your righteousness is in the declaration of forgiveness you hear every Sunday in the body and blood of Jesus given and shed for you for the forgiveness of sins. That's the first one. Then comes godliness, really living, following, imitating that perfection. People see as you live with faith and love, two sides of the same coin, trusting in Jesus for your salvation and showing that with your sacrifice, a good synonym for the Greek word love, for others than steadfastness. That means hyper-remaining is how I say Hyper-staying, staying put in the midst of what I'll share next. All with gentleness. This is the one that convicts me so often as husband, father, as pastor, as a follower of Christ. Look to Christ as an example. But I think Paul summarizes all that, the guts of it, when he says next, fight the good fight of the faith. We actually have a hymn we should have picked today. You may hear as you exit. Fight the good fight. Notice it's of the faith. Not of faith, 
of your trust in Jesus. That's a fight too. The Apostle Paul in Philippians 2 says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling, fighting, knowing that it is God who is at work in you. You're trusting in him. And that's a struggle, not to depend on yourself. But this is fight the good fight of the faith, of the truth of Scripture, of, of what Paul emphasizes, Timothy and you and I, confess. You speak with the truth of God's word in your life, and that's a fight. Especially when everything else you will encounter as you go forth, circumstances, people, culture, fight against it. I have, as the sermon title indeed today, a different translation of this verse. I've would translate it agonize the excellent agony of the faith this was shown to me just a few years ago in a pastor's conference and I think our present district president Mike Newman also should be in our prayers still was the leader a number of times in Paul's letters he uses that word agony in the Greek to emphasize the fight and the struggle we have. It's even used in Hebrews chapter 12 that we run with perseverance the race, the agony set before us. But it is excellent. Not that we are masochists, you know, to engender and try to promote pain in our lives, but when we encounter it, the Bible's clear about this, friend. Romans chapter 5, I've quoted a couple of times. We rejoice in our tribulations, knowing that tribulation produces endurance. Endurance produces character. Character produces hope. Hope does not disappoint us. We rejoice. It's excellent to have tribulations. The situation in our world with the pandemic moves us to joy. Not in and of itself, but for what God will work. The long time between resident pastors moves us to joy. Because we know God is at work amongst us. As someone who's got, they say, one foot in and one foot out of Trinity Lutheran Church, I can tell you maybe with more objectivity than anyone, God is working good amongst you. I've seen this every place I've served. You and your ministry have grown in the absence of a permanent pastor. And God has worked so much good amongst us. Indeed, excellence. That's the word Jesus used in his words recorded in John chapter 10 when he called himself the good shepherd. I emphasized it last week that he's your real pastor, the excellent shepherd. And he's at work among you. Indeed, with the result, it's the next line, you take hold of the eternal life to which you were called. And all of this, the pain and the tribulation of the kingdom of God, whether it's the things I mentioned or something else in the near future, it is causing you to grab harder by the power of the Spirit 
that eternal life of glory to which you were called. Again, God's doing the work, pulling you into heaven. We have some of Timothy's story. Indeed, the start as our first reading today as Paul encounters Timothy, maybe already a believer, it may seem, on his second missionary journey and enlist him to go with him, circumcises him. That was no small matter for him. And then summon him, if you read on, to some difficulties. They tried to go in one direction and God moved them another. There were problems in the churches to come. And yet he exalts with Timothy as his son, really, in the faith. There are some earthly, worldly attributes and, and facts about Timothy and about every pastor that are important. In fact, some of his family is mentioned there in Acts chapter 16. His, his mother, who was Jewish, and passed down the faith through the mother, as, as you may know. His father was a Gentile. We know that about him. We also know his mother's name and his grandmother's name at the start of the second letter, Lois and Eunice. So these things aren't unimportant about a pastor. And in keeping with that, I want to introduce to you someone you haven't met. You've heard me talk a lot about my father who was a pastor before called to heaven. But this person also you will meet in heaven. This pastor's mother. That's not the best picture I could find, but I grabbed it because behind her is a painting my sisters and I can't find. <laughs> it's really cool. Maybe you've seen it. It's a dark picture of Jesus as the good shepherd in the midst of lightning bolts holding on to a sheep. We, we can't figure out who painted it or where that painting is after mom was called to heaven almost four years ago. My father did give me a lot of advice as a pastor to a pastor, but mom did too. She battled MS first of all, for 30 years with a strong, strong faith. What an example to me. But I also remember the first time she attended one of my Bible classes. I was a new pastor teaching with my mother in the front row. And at one point, I said, I, as a pastor, have a call. And mom, I remember she was gentle, kind of asked permission. She said, Craig, if I may, we all have a call. And she was right. There's a distinction. Pastors have a public call to do things officially for the church, but you have a call too. This verse here is in the singular. Paul's talking to Timothy the eternal life to which you, Timothy, were called, but so many other places he talks about all of you being called. 
to eternal life, to ministry. I just picked one, again, from Ephesians 4 earlier in that chapter. Paul says, you were called. Yes, in the midst of agony of this world and all kinds of ways, but knowing God is working it for his good, his excellency, you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. Amen.